Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 293 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I'm happy to introduce you to Radomir Jakubowski, a German landscape, nature, and wildlife photographer. Radomir has a huge collection of amazing photographs in his portfolio and lots of interesting ways to think about the world. And I think this might help you in your journey as a photographer. We covered a lot of topics this week, including competitions, making unique images, thinking like an economist in photography, and a lot more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our chat. Before we start, I wanted to encourage listeners once again to join me over on Nature Photographers Network, or NPN, to improve your photography. NPN is a community of like-minded nature photographers that love to help each other improve through discourse, thoughtful critique, and awesome articles. There are insightful Ask Me Anything events where you can learn more about your favorite photographers. There's free webinars designed to provide you with value and education. There's something for everyone on NPN. For just $49 per year, you can join the community on NPN and gain access to the site and all that it has to offer. It's such a great place and I'd love to see you there. Just head over to npn.link forward slash fstop to join. You can also use the code fstop10 for a 10% discount as well, or just look for the link in the show notes. Okay, let's get to this week's episode with Radomir Jakubowski. Hi, Matt. It's great to be here. Awesome. Yeah, and I'm sorry if I butchered your name. You'll you'll be able to correct me here in a moment, I'm sure. But uh, first of all, I'm really excited to have you here. I've been Uh, As you know, through our correspondence, I've been really trying to get more people from all over the world on the podcast. And, you know, language is usually the biggest barrier, but also time zones and blah, blah, blah. But we have a mutual contact in Sandra Bartoko, which is great. And I took a look at your work and I'm really excited to talk to you about that. So welcome. Welcome aboard. Hi, it's great to be here. And I'm really looking forward for this podcast. Um, Yeah, you told us from all over the world and I'm from Germany and uh, my parents come from Poland so I speak today Polish and German and a little bit of English so I will try uh, to make this podcast as good as I can. So uh, my name is uh, Radomir Jakubowski and I'm a wildlife photographer. Most of the people think about me just about uh, photographing of wildlife but I also shoot landscapes, a lot of macro plants and so on. So my portfolio is really a little bit more diverse than uh, the portfolio of somebody who's shooting only one kind of uh, nature. I'm now 35 years old. I have a family here and I live in Saarbrücken. That's um, in Germany next to the border to France. So I have to drive 10 minutes to France, uh, 30 minutes to Luxembourg. So I have really a lot of countries around uh, my hometown and um, I try to shoot really a lot of nature photography also around uh, my home for me it's really important to don't travel so far away but to be in an area i say around 300 kilometers around uh, my hometown and then that's the best part to can come back every day or every week when i want um, i started with photography i think uh, when i was um, nine years old and um that was like uh, 90, 98 or something like this. And later I stopped <laughs> shooting because it was so 
uh, difficult to pay for it. And when the digital boom started, that was the, for me also the starting point of photography. And I really saw that I love to shoot nature. After just some months, I shoot only nature. I tried also to shoot people or seascapes uh, or uh, cities or something like this and sports. But for me, it was nature. And that's uh, how I'm today full-time photographer. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I uh, I think you got a little bit of a er more earlier start than I did, although I do remember my first experience with a camera was like one of those Kodak disc cameras that my parents gave me. And, you know, I would take pictures of like rocks or something silly on a, at a campsite that we'd be at or something like that. And of course, none of them are any good, but I always enjoyed, you know, like the idea of being able to record something and take it back with me, which is kind of, I think, how a lot of us nature photographers got started to begin with. Yes, the biggest problem was that uh, I didn't have a driving license because I was too young. So uh, when I started really <laughs> to enjoy photography, it was like, Dad, come with me. I want to take images today. And he said, oh, again, five in the morning. Yeah, the light is the best then. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That's so funny. You had that figured out. You had that figured out when you were that young, huh? Yeah. And I had to say, Dad, come with me. And uh he was doing everything I wanted to that I can take photos, maybe not uh, every weekend, but uh, he was going with me to take images. He was driving me around um, later when I wanted to do my first wildlife project um, in Camargue in South France. Um, he was driving with me there 1000 kilometers that I can shoot birds. So um, he really gave me a real good starting point that I can uh, try myself out and uh, to, to find out what's about photography and why I like it or what I like about it. And I never thought that I will become a photographer. So um, I just was crazy about photography. I was reading every paper of every book and so on. And I never thought that I can make a living out of it later. But it, I, I was so crazy that I was reading everything. And then during my um, education, during my studying, I was studying economics. Um, I had the possibility to write my first book together with Sandra Batoka and uh, with Werner Bollmann. And I had also the possibility to um, write a lot of um, articles for different magazines um, and to shoot my first stories. And I was more in nature than um, at, at my studies. And then I decided at the end, okay, let's give it a try. I don't have so much to lose at this point in my life. That makes that makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, I think a lot of people that want to get into it full time are saddled with debt and they have family obligations and they have jobs and they have steady income. And it's it's like, oh, I have to give all of this stuff up to try to see if this might work. And I think that stops a lot of people from actually giving it a go. But I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit about what that decision was like for you in terms of becoming a full-time photographer? Like what were some of the things that you were worried about or that you were excited to try or things like that? To be honest, I never was worried because the worst thing could be that I have to go home to my parents, you know? <laughs> and at this point, I remember that also um, one of your guests, Theo Bosboom, was also starting his uh, photographic career and we talked about it. Um, and I can remember he talked about the number he has to uh, 
uh, how many income he needs from photography. And I thought, oh man, this is a huge number. That's much more than I need at the moment. And maybe it was easier for me because I was living together with um, three other students. So maybe I needed 1000 euro a month and it was okay. So when you don't need a lot of money, you didn't have any mortgage. You can just start and try it, I think. When you are at another starting point, it's much harder because um, you lose a lot of your comfort zone. You lose a lot of prestige, maybe, and uh, just because you want to do what you love. And then you don't know if you will love it later still or if you say, oh, shit, that was not the best idea. I hate my photography now. That's also a possibility. It is. Yeah. And no, I think that's, those are all important considerations. I mean, those are all things that I've thought about from my own, my own side of things. I, it's actually funny. I was like last night I was on a walk with my wife and we were talking about, you know, just the possibility of me doing photography full time. And then it turned into this like heated conversation about our budget and like, what do we spend money on and what can we get rid of and how much money will I have to bring in? And it was just like, oh, man, I just I don't know if I want to do it now. It's like every time I like I'm about to go there, it's like these conversations happen. And it's like really, I don't know, it's like reality just hits you right across the face. <laughs> you know, I honestly never wanted to be a full time photographer. I said always, no, this has to be my hobby and I don't want to lose my hobby. And then it, wa it was like uh, I was sitting there. Um, writing the last test of my uh, education and then I thought oh shit when I I'm finishing it now and then I have to look for work for somebody I have to search my a job or something like this and then I thought no you, you will try it now and if it's not working out you, you can still search for some other jobs and that's that was okay for me because uh, I didn't have anything to lose you know and yeah I have to say that it's really hard to like photography in that way as you like photography when it's your hobby. So it's it was for me a really hard way. So so now I'm a full-time photographer for 12 or 13 years now and after the first 6 or 7 years I had the situation that I thought oh shit I I it's like work now, yeah? You you have to work and it's not the hobby anymore it's not the thing you love and it was a really tough one to convince myself that photography is still my hobby and not my job and i believe in it uh, but it was a hard way to believe in it that it's still my hobby and i say to myself every day you don't have to work as a photographer if you don't want you can do another job so it's your hobby man even if uh, I live from it. I see it as a hobby because I don't want to <clears> see it as my job. I, for me, it's really important. So uh, it was a hard way to, to get to this point that it's again my hobby. And um, I started also to take other images than before in the last two, three years. I'm shooting a lot for myself and uh, not even nature. And that's just for me. I don't show these images uh, on Instagram. I don't show the images to anybody, maybe on WhatsApp, but... Uh, I shoot a lot of street photography, a lot of people, a lot of things I would never shoot before. And I'm doing it just for me because I want to shoot something different that 
than always nature. I, I know that's hard to understand when you're a nature photographer and that's your biggest dream to get nature photographer. And then somebody tell you, hey, for my hobby, I shoot also different kinds of uh, of things. But I really needed uh, for me to, to shoot some different style of uh, photography and not only be um, in nature and not only photography nature. Okay, that that's interesting. I've... I've actually never heard somebody um, who's full-time still refer to it as a hobby. And I think that's a really interesting, I, I don't want to say it's like a mental trick or whatever, but like, I think that I'm guessing that's like a, like a little tool that you use in order to try to remind yourself to, of why you got into it to begin with. So I'm, I'm curious um, to kind of go a little bit deeper along that along that route in terms of um, wondering how you've been able to find balance between making a sustainable income and feeding your creative needs. I know you just talked a little bit about photographing other genres or types of things that you enjoy photographing that aren't related to your business. But I'm curious if there's any tension between the two in terms of creativity and monetary needs. and Or do you find that that actually helps you? Like, does that does the monetary need and the creativity kind of um, synergistically play into helping helping you grow? I think that uh, to create an income is not good for the creativity, to be honest. So um, when you don't have the pressure of income, you can be much more creative in your work. So it's really a hard decision. Is this now for me as hobby photographer or is this now for me as full-time photographer so i have to decide it because i know that images that i can sell normally are not the images i like you know um when, when i take a look for for images i'm selling normally when i think about animals that's a cute animal shot just talk about a cute animal looking at the camera great i can sell this image i can use it on instagram it will work i can use it on social media and i know this image will work but maybe i want to do an unsharp image uh, shooting through something and some creative work of uh, animal photography and i know that this image is nobody will buy it so it's normally for me maybe for some of my books or maybe for um me as a speaker when I talk about photography, but um, just to become an in income out of it, I think that it's not good for the creativity because I see it really often. I finished a series of um, multi-exposures and I worked on it like 10 years and it was just for me. And I still don't know what, what can I do now with the images. I shoot it because I believe in that series. I, I, I like the images. But I never showed it on social media. I uh, don't know what can I do with these images now. Maybe I can present them someday, but I didn't create any income out of it. So when I'm full-time photographer, you, you, you need to think about the story you want to tell or you have to think about the project you are working on and you need to know why or how can I sell the images or why can I sell the images. So just uh, this year I was shooting um, for a sustainable farm. I made um, the um, images for, for, for this farmer, all, all he needed for his um, advertisement. And it was for me like, oh, it's a, 
it's nothing nothing creative about this at that place. I, I was there because I wanted to see how they are working, what they are doing on the farm. And it was really interesting for me. I learned a lot about uh, the style of photography, but I've done this because uh, it was a good paid job. And then I, I'm doing also things like this, but it's really hard to know when I can earn something from the images. And then you start to take images that are more uh, working on social media and not the creative images maybe you, you want to take. So I think that it's a creativity killer. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's I like what you said, though. It seems like your strategy is to kind of put them into different buckets that you kind of keep separated um, mentally. And you're like, okay, th these images are, you know, to pay the bills and to, to fuel my financial needs. And these images are over here are to um, fuel my creative needs and my passions and the things that I'm truly interested in creating. And I'm guessing that those images that you know are going to sell and, you know, they're going to be popular or whatever, seems like you might see those as kind of a vehicle through which um, you kind of meet your financial needs um, to give you the opportunity to then work on the stuff that you're truly passionate about. Yes, I think that's the same as uh, like you have a job, a normal job to feed your family <laughs> and then right? you're doing the stuff you want. I, I think that's quite the same thing. And uh, sometimes you don't know that this creative image will pay your bill, but uh, you, you never know it before. Just uh, to suggest I um, was uh, on a trip to uh, make some videos um, with my assistant and we, we were there and I took some images of fog there. We we didn't know that it will be really good conditions at that day. And now, uh, two years later, uh, Canon bought us as a key visual for the next marketing campaign for the EMEA region. Two years ago, I was there to shoot video and I was also taking some images. And then later, now I can make a bill out of it. So um, you, it can be possible, but not every day like this. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking about that exact same thing with my wife last night. Like, she's like, "Well, how much? How much money do you think you can make out of a trip, out of a photography trip?" And I'm like, "Well, like over time, like because we're talking about it's you might not actually realize any financial gain from a photography trip for years. You know, like it could take a long time to actually." see the fruits of that labor depending on how it's marketed or who buys it or whatever. So I think one of the most important things that I keep trying to explain to people is that it's it's a long game, you know, it's a you and you can't get super excited when the highs come because they're not going to be very often and you need those highs to pay for the times when you're not making a ton of money. So it's you have to have like a really long term vision. And you never know uh, what people want to see. I know I was back 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011 in Norway to shoot um, um, landscape and musk ox there. And then I won the Fritz Perking Award also with these images. And the crazy thing was all, everybody wanted to have musk ox images. And then at, at the Nature Picture Library, 
I really thought a lot of these images and I never thought before, okay, it, it, it's working because people want uh, 2012, 2013, they want to buy these images. And then I made different trips and nobody wanted to get the images or um, normally <laughs> I make a story or something like this. And then I go to the magazine and say, hey, here's my story. Do you want it? And um, sometimes they don't want it. So um, right. I think it's a mixed calculation. You, you have to see. Uh, f f for me, I have my ex travel expenses are like uh, something I know that they are coming and I also already planned that I have this travel expenses and all projects have to pay for the new project, to be honest. So um, it's a mixed mm -hmm. calculation and I never know how it's working out with the next project or the next trip I'm doing. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit and we'll come back to some of this business stuff for sure. But um, one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about, because I think this can go in a lot of different directions, is um, the fact that when you and I first started talking, um, it seemed like you really heavily focused on a lot of the accolades that you've accomplished through competitions. You know, I, you sent me this long list of things that you've won through with your photographs. And I was like, that's a lot of stuff, man. Uh, so I'm curious, uh, how did entering and winning competitions shape your career in nature photography? And, and then now that you are established, how much weight do you place on them, meaning competitions? Today, for me, competitions are meaningless. Normally, I forget about them. And just if they send me a reminder, then I send my images. So um, that's just maybe five or six competitions a, a year I'm going to take part of that are the uh, biggest here in Europe um, and uh, also nature's best sometimes in uh, US. But when I started photography, um, there was nothing like social media. You know, um, I think I won uh, European Wildlife Photographer of the Year 2006 or 2007 the first time, and it was the first competition I took part in. I, it was just I, I sent some of my images, and I never took part in a competition, and then I had the possibility to uh, win this competition, and it was like, oh, that's cool. And then I was starting like uh, sh thinking crazy ideas. How do I can make images for competitions? Yes. And mm. that's wh why I started to make different images and to try to create and to try out new techniques. And h how can I improve my photography and w what can I do with photographic technique? Just think back, it's 15 years ago. So 15 years ago, the cameras were quite shitty. And um, when when you think about the possibilities, you, you have now completely other uh, possibilities of photography and to learn photography. There was no YouTube, no social media, no Instagram. When I was looking for um, a project, it was like I was reading a magazine and then there was, oh, in the Vosges, there are chamois. And then you can spend one or two weeks to find out where to find the animal. So it was completely different. And how do you can show your work? And one of the only possibility was to show your work in big competitions or to show your images maybe in magazines. And then it started to get some uh, PHP forums. I don't know if you were in a PHP forum at that time. So the competitions were really important 
to show my work because um, how you want to show uh, your photography when you when nobody see it. So that was my kind of possibility to to show the world my images and. Um, with this, I also um, had the possibility to go for a lot of networking, to go to um, Lünen. Lünen is um, uh, an international nature photography meetup, you know, and to, to get to these meetups and to get in touch with um, magazines and to get in touch with other photographers. And for me, it was the starting point of um, my photographic car career because it was like a first step for my network and today I can say that the network I have in photography and in, uh, w with photographers with companies and so on is the most important part of my business I think hmm. Interesting. because the, the network is w how you can sell things you don't have to be the best photographer you have to have the best selling skills and the best network yeah, it's <clears throat> that's that, that's like a whole whole podcast right there about the dichotomy between being a good photographer versus being a good marketing person. I think unfortunately the reality is you need to be both, but more emphasis on the marketing is probably needed if you want to be known and want to sell your work, etc. But I wanted to go back to something you said that I think is really interesting. You talked about creating work specifically for the intent purpose of winning a competition. And I think that's fascinating because I just had a podcast I did with Guy Tal and he had like the complete opposite uh, sentiment. Like he would never enter a competition because he thinks that if you're creating work for the purpose of entering into a competition, that that's not necessarily, I'm going to butcher or miss say what he said, but it's not creative is what he said. And what I heard you say is that for you, thinking about how to win a competition with your work actually unlocked some creativity or some ideas for you to try to try out and to use um, with your own work. And I think it's interesting that you said that. Yeah, the back in the days, it was like this. It was like, oh man, how I can win more competitions, okay. Um, what what can I do? What's the next step? What I can bring to the people? How can I um, create more of that? What I'm seeing of my soul in my images? And it was like um, when I'm running a marathon or uh, I'm doing some sports, I think, okay, how I can get faster? How I can get higher? And for me, this was in my younger years, it was like, how can I win the competitions? And um, it was really important 10 years ago or 15 years ago for me. And that's um, also how I started to try different techniques with uh, different lenses or with techniques you never saw before. And I was trying out, okay, how can I do this flare or how can I do this thing in the background or how do I can create this style of image or what else. And then I saw, cool, it's working. And uh, it was so fascinating for me. And then the biggest fail was that I started, that I wanted to do the same image again or to replicate uh, my images. So um, at one point I saw that the images that are working, I'm doing it again and again and again. And 
that was the creativity crap because um, you can't do every time the same thing and say now this is creative because when you're doing this the second or the third one it's not creative anymore yeah and it's it's interesting we see that uh, we see that happening a lot with some of the major competitions like they for some reason the same types of images that won in previous years even the same exact compositions like they win again and it's like okay we've we've seen that before can we maybe see something different and unique or what is that photographer bringing that's unique to them or how are they expressing themselves differently other than just copying someone else's style and someone else's composition so i think it is interesting to see how some competitions are rewarding uh that kind of derivative formula driven approach to making phot photographs yes I, I discussed it a lot with sandra and when you are sitting in as a judge and jury like this where are these creative images i i, I see ten thousand images and I see a lot of images of animals and I say, hey, I want to have a really, really cool action shot. But where are this magnificent action shot I have in my head? And normally you, you, you don't see the images you expect or this incredible images because um, I, I think that you see so many input every day on um, online. The value of the images in the competition is really a little bit reduced this wow how crazy is this image i think that we see so many um images every day that it reduced the, the, the fascination of the image so wh when i think back 15 years ago when i was uh, on the international nature photography meetup in lunen i was driving home and i thought oh paul nicklin showed us incredible images or jasper dusch showed us crazy images and it was like it, it i was full of cre creativity when i was driving home and today it's like oh i i have eaten a lot of images i saw too much images i don't want to to see more of them so it, it really changed i think with, with our consumption of uh, images that the fascination is a little bit reduced. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole uh, psychological um, phenomenon that occurs. <clears throat> it's actually been studied through neuroscience and like MRI machines and stuff. I was introduced to it from Guy Tao through an article he wrote in Lenswork, but it's all it's this idea of repetition suppression, where if you get exposed to the same thing over and over and over again, um, it's it might be an amazing photograph or an amazing concept, photographically speaking. But the more it gets replicated, the less impressive it becomes. And then the original photograph that did it the first time kind of loses all meaning. And so that's, I mean, that's kind of tangential to the idea that like, it's actually kind of damaging to a photographer to copy their photograph, like, because their photo then just has less meaning overall. And so I've, I've been trying more and more of my own photographs to try to avoid you know, replicating other people's images as much as I possibly can. If, just because I think, A, it's more personally satisfying, B, it's going to be more interesting to the viewer, and C, I'm not, like, unintentionally taking away something from the original creator of that image. Yeah, I, I think it's very important to do his own stuff. And uh, for me, I stopped using um, social media, so I 
today I saw I was one minute on Vero and I think two minutes on Instagram. <laughs> That's uh, all consumption <laughs> for today. <laughs> and right. um, yeah. for me, I, I, I think about it like um, I r reduced looking for images of nature, of, of nature photographers. I look much more for uh, photographers um, from um, different um, kind of photography. Like uh, I'm looking a lot of uh, people photographer, a lot of street photography. I'm looking a lot for uh, different artists. I'm looking for National Geographic photographers, but not for nature photographers. And I see how it changed my view for nature photography sometimes. And that I start also using techniques from um, people photography for my nature photography. So it, it has an impact on my nature photography that I see different kinds of photography and not only uh, nature or landscape or wildlife photographers. No, I think that's a, that's a really good strategy. Uh, well, let's, let's talk about another subject. Uh, earlier, you mentioned that you were formally educated in economics. And I personally think that uh, the more that we can incorporate other skills and talents into our photography, the more it differentiates us in some interesting ways. Uh, so I'm curious how you've been able to leverage your knowledge of economics and numbers uh, to find success in your photography. For me, I'm really a tech guy and I'm really a number guy. So um, it was clear that I want to study something like this. And I think that maybe I didn't make so many mistakes starting my photography business. So uh, you, you <laughs> have to start, you have to decide uh, which, which legal form you want to have. You have to decide uh, how to start a business. You have to know that you have to pay taxes. You have to know how to calculate taxes. You have to know um, how to make prices. You have to know about um, your expenses. So I think that it was a good starting point um, for me that I had the knowledge. But to be honest, um, it was not only my education because my education was like, uh, I was reading it in books and I was reading about big companies and I had great things like controlling and so on. But what does it mean for me as photographer? And I had the problem to fill it up with, with the thing I want to do. It, it had nothing to do with photography. And the people I meet through my studies and for, through my economic skills, they helped me to find a way to deal with it. You know, um, One of my best friends today is also my tax consultant. I was studying with him. Or um, another guy um, who is very important for me is Heiko. I met him. He um, is a business consultant. He has an own company. And I'm going always running with him. And we talk about a lot of stuff and he really helped me to leverage my work. And s since I met him, I it was like every year I had 100% more income because he he had the, the eye to tell me what I can do with photography and with my education. How can I leverage my photography? So um, it was really important to talk to other people and to talk to people who know something better than me. I really appreciate to, to talk to people 
I am connecting with, if they can help me and in, in, in a specific way, they are thinking. And maybe, of course, one of the best things coming out of my education is that I can read and uh, understand legal text. Because uh, when you're writing something, some contract or something like this, that really helps out that you know um, how to formulate it and um, that you understand w what you are reading. So I think that was also something very important for me. On the other hand side, um, it helped me to uh, define my KPIs. So um, KPIs are normally um, key performance indicators. Um, and when I think about um, KPIs, what is a KPI? I maybe make a little example. When I want to go to run a marathon in under four hours, I have a goal. So I have to break down this goal to smaller goals. So a KPI can be how fast I have to run one kilometer. And then I know, okay, to run under four hours the marathon, I have to run 540 per kilometer. And if I want to run under three hours 30, I have to run 455. So for me, I can define what are the little goals when I want to reach my big goal. So normally if you um, want to um, get some KPIs about your business, you have to define your goal. So that, that, I think, is the most important thing when, when you start about KPIs. So in photography, it is how many sales do I need? And then how many profit I want to do? How many net profit I need? So that you just start thinking about, okay, w w what do I need at the end of the year? And then you have to think how you can make sub goals out of it or how you are working. For me, I'm working with um, something like business units. So I'm a one person show. So, but the, I, I have business units in my head, like how many prints do I sell? How many images I sell? For me, images and prints are two different things. Um, which income I can gen generate with affiliate? Um, what corporate jobs I can do? Which part, uh, when I'm going as a speaker, how many I can earn. The part of workshops. So I have really a lot of different little business units in my mind. And um, I made out of it, for me, a full um, forecast on Excel. So I know, okay, at the end of the year, I need so many income or I want, this is my goal. And then I can say, okay, then I need from prints this, from image sales this, from affiliate this, from, uh, corporate jobs from workshops and then I can break down to the goals of this business unit and overall you can't forget about your expense we we are talking about travel expenses like we talked we talk a lot about expenses of um, technique so for me um, I have fixed um, reinvestigations per month in my calculation because I know that over the year I will give away around 1200 bucks every month for technic so i know i need every year 14400 euro just for reinvestigation uh, fixed per month and i i made out of it the whole calculation for me in excel and i can see okay is it green yellow or red and 
for me, I'm a challenging guy. So when it's going to be red, I have a problem. Uh, I want to change something because I, I have something which not which is not green because I want the KPI board that everything is green and everything is good at it. And um, you have to know every day what what do you need, how much money spend, do you spend on it, and how much time you spend on your work because um, time and money is for me uh, the same thing. And I know which is my daily rate. I know the daily rate when I need an assistant. Um, I need preparation time and I have to manage that I have the preparation time and that this preparation time also get paid. I have travel times. I want that the travel time is also paid. So I have really to know my business at the first spot. And then you have a lot of KPIs around that, that are just normal business KPIs. but you can also make KPIs of everything like how often I post something on my blog or how often you are doing a podcast. You can have the KPI. I want to have a podcast every week. That's a KPI. And you have, if you don't do this week a podcast, this KPI is red. It's not green anymore. And I think that um, most photographers have the problem that they never tried to see how many uh, income they need and um, why they need this income. So um, I think that the most important thing is not to think about how much money do I need for living. I, I'm thinking about how much is my time worth. So um, when I'm doing a job, I, I want to get out more than I need at the end. So I say for me, my time is so much worth and there are times when the, the price for this time is double or triple so high. To make an example, when I was uh, um, going to be married, um, somebody asked me if I can make a speech out there. And I was one week there with uh, the whole family. And I say, okay, but this day costs 10 times more than normally because I didn't want to do this job. I said, when it's so <laughs> right. uh, important, then it's okay. But I, I know that you never will pay so, so much for it. So if the job is really interesting for me, maybe I will reduce the price. And if I don't want to do this job, then I go higher with the price. But I never go under the daily rate I need and I know that I need it. So um, just to make an example, I had this year... Um, the goal to work two and a half months less than last year. I wanted to have two and a half months for me to shoot things I want to make, to spend time with family. And I wanted to have 100% of income. So w when you put it into Excel, if you are working only nine and a half months in one year, then it's like 70, 90% of working time. So my net profit has to increase 26.5% because I wanted to have the same income. And at the moment when I look to my forecast, I see it is red because I am 4.3% behind uh, my goal. You know, I have a forecast. What do I think is coming in the next month? And then I see, oh, I, I wanted to grow 26.5% net profit this year. And at the moment, 
I, I'm behind this plan. And I know that I can change it now wh when I take maybe one drop more or w whatever I can do. But for me, it's important to, to, to know what's going on with my numbers because um, how I can lead my own business when I don't know my numbers. And um, so, so I'm working every day with KPIs and I have KPIs like in every single part of my life. When I go to the gym, I have KPIs in my head. When I go uh, running, I have KPIs in my head. I even have KPIs for things um, I'm doing not in my comfort zone. So um, I, I'm like obsessed with numbers and I always want to challenge myself. That's, uh, I, I'm really crazy what's going on in my head. So um, I, I can't <laughs> explain it, but I'm always uh, like, oh, that's 7%. Hmm. <laughs> so, so everything I can um, read in numbers, I, I always have it in my head when I'm in a theater um, First of all, I take a look, oh, okay, it's around 600 people here. Everybody paid 50 bucks, okay, so that's, uh, I don't know why, but it's like to understand the, the model of what's going on here, I always count in numbers and I see it also in my photography. Interesting. I think one thing you said early on in that, uh, I think is really applicable, not just in terms of running a business, but perhaps more applicable just in terms of photography in general is that you had mentioned that um, you have this person that you go running with and every time you meet with them, like things are a hundred times better afterwards. And, and you mentioned like it's important to learn from people that know more than you about whatever you're trying to learn. And I think that can apply to all different things in terms of photography. So like it maybe start reading books on philosophy if you want to become a more thoughtful photographer, maybe start engaging more in like understanding psychology if you want to understand how other people think or, you know, maybe start reading about geology or biology if you want to uh, make more interesting photographs of things in nature. It's like, to me, it's the more you can become a more interesting person and a more educated person and have more knowledge in general, it's just going to help you in your photography, whether that's monetization or business or relationships with other people or understanding the market or under you know making more creative photographs whatever it is i think you know seeking out things that are not photography related can make you a better photographer i think it's the most important part because if you have the knowledge of other things it help you every day so to understand how people act why they act like this or uh, to know more about the things you talk like geology or about animals or about uh, weather if you know how to read a weather model you can make better images of fog or you can make better images of red sky because you understand when do i see a red sky and it's very important to start to be interested in everything around and that's I think why I love nature photography so much because it's a, such a huge part of of my life and it's so different. So I can learn about animals, I can learn about physics, I can learn about um, geology, I can learn about everything. And on my workshops, I meet such different people. I can learn from everybody. When I'm running a workshop, I'm looking for what can I learn today from my workshop guests 
not what can learn that what they can learn from me i i, I know that that's also important but for me i i'm always looking what i can learn today from my participants i love that i think that's fantastic and uh yeah i have the same experience when i meet other photographers and i'm always learning and growing and appreciating other people's viewpoints and i think that's a a really um, critical component to becoming a better photographer and really just a better person. <laughs> so one of the other things that I thought would be fun to talk about uh, was this idea of becoming a brand ambassador. I know that you're a brand ambassador for multiple camera brands, and I'm curious how has that played into your success and what has it done for your career? I think that uh, to being ambassador is not doing something for my career because um, normally they come when you already have an career so um, I think that <laughs> becoming uh, <laughs> nobody comes to you oh you started photography here take my camera gear Th they are coming to you because you already had a career or uh, something like this but um, I think most people think about being a brand ambassador something like oh they give you everything for free and life is beautiful or something like this but for me first of all being a ambassador means I have a framework contract with the companies and that's the most important part of being an ambassador I don't want to get something for free I will explain it um, wh when I get uh, to a tripod manufacturer and he say here take my tripod with you oh great I have a tripod for free and then one year later they say hey we have a new one here's the better one And then I have two tripods. Awesome, a backup is already in my pocket. And then one year later, they give me the third tripod. And then I start to have some trouble because I can't sell the first one because then I say it was maybe not so good. So <laughs> I have the problem that I'm getting always stuff and I can't sell it and I didn't get paid for my work. So I honestly don't want to get things for free from companies. For me, it is a contract, which is the important part. Because when I have a framework contract with a huge company, I'm Canon ambassador. So I have a contract with Canon. So that means that I'm in the SAP system of Canon. And that means that every employee of this company can reach out to me and say, hey, do you want to get this job for us done. Or I want to buy this image, uh, APL, we want to do this and this. So they can give me a job if they want, because as soon as I have a contract with the, this company, I can sell my images or my work to them. And everybody knows how much they have to pay, they can calculate it. And it's really easy for me to work with them because It's so hard to get something out of a company when you're not working together in a contract with them because it's for everybody working there a pain in the ass to get you a job just because they like you. Because the problem is as long as you're not in the system, it's not so easy to, to, to get out with the work to you. So for me, the most important thing is the contract around or the possibility to uh, find a solution for my own problems. 
I'm also working with uh, Novoflex. Novoflex is a um, company here in Germany. They are uh, making tripods, they are making tripod heads, they are making adapter and a lot of different stuff. And um, I started to work with them and I can find my own solutions, you know. I have my own tripod head, I have uh, my... Uh, I had the problem when I have a tripod collar, I need always a new plate for each tripod collar. Yeah? Right. <laughs> and I have a lot of lenses. I, I think I have 20 or 30 lenses. So I, I need for every lens I buy new with a tripod collar, a new um, special plate for it. And then I decided, hey, w w why it's like this? And I thought, oh, I want to have a normal plate and then a special thing I can move to the tripod collar and then it's not moving around anymore. So I decided that's a new idea. I want to do this with you. And then I start to create with them a new product. And then later you can buy it today as QStub TC in the shop. And for me, I solve my problem. So they have a lot of products um, in their portfolio. Um, I had the idea for, and I solved my problem. And at the end, uh, I get paid by affiliate and um, so it's a win-win-win situation because they have new products, they can sell more. I have my problems, I found a solution for my problems and I can work together with them. So I like if um, being an ambassador is the possibility to, to be heard and to see how the developing of the products are going on. Or to make an example, when uh, before the Canon EOS R5 was out, I was meeting um, the um, developers of the Canon EOS R5, the engineers from Japan. We, we meet us together in, in another country. I had a first prototype of the R5 and we talked about wh what are my needs, what is good about this body, what's not so good. And that's really, really cool because I love technique. But most of the companies are just trying to give you the stuff they have and that you say it's awesome and that's not the way for me like um, being a brand ambassador is working for me it's important that I can talk about the things uh, I need and uh, we can make a win-win situations for everybody out of it and I think the only ambassadorship which was really meaningful for me is being a Canon ambassador because it can really open doors so uh, I had a production with the Polish TV out of uh, my Canon ambassadorship. I was uh, I had the possibility to work on a Netflix production uh, because of it. So it, this really opened some doors for me. But the, being a Nisi brand ambassador, that's just filter. They, they make great filters, but that's all. I, I can't say, hey, today I want to have a new kind of filters. Then the Chinese guy will say, okay, but we don't to make we don't want to make it. So <laughs> right. I, I think yeah. it's very important uh, that, that that you take a look for, for the brands you want to work with and that you select them by yourself. So I just want to work with the brands I want to work and not because they are asking me. So if tomorrow Leica or Hasselblad is asking me, do you want to be ambassador for me? And then I say no, because great cameras, but not for the type of work I'm doing. So that's not the right thing for me. So what has been your approach in terms of developing 
those relationships because、uh, I have tried over the years to develop some of those relationships, and I have just not found much success in that. And it's always been a little bit of source of frustration for me because I feel like I'm a fairly good photographer. I have a weekly podcast. I have a pretty big audience. And yet, I can't seem to find a way to develop a relationship in a way to where I'm giving them something. I'm solving a problem for them, and they're solving a problem for me, and, and that's mutually、uh, beneficial. And I'm just curious, like, what has been your approach to to solve that problem? <laughs> When you started to talk to me, the first three sentence was, "What you have, not what is my problem." You know the the most important thing when right, I start、right. a relationship,、um, I don't call them and say them, "Hey, I'm Radomir. I'm an awesome guy, the best photographer you can get. I have so many awards and so many followers, and I want to be your ambassador." That's not the style. It's work. When 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 I want to work tomorrow with a new company, first of all, I want to talk to the decision maker. So. When it's a smaller company,、um, there's only one decision maker, the owner of the company. Or if it's a bigger company, then I have maybe to talk to different guys to come there. Then normally I ask other guys, "Do you have the contact details for me, or can you write a short email?" So the market in photography is really small. So、um, I try to open the door a little bit because somebody is saying. Radomir will call you, and then I have to go to jogging, because when I'm running around, I can think about the problems the company has, in my opinion, and which problem I can solve for them. And then I will never go and talk to somebody when I don't know what I have to sell. So、um, I'm thinking about、uh, I don't know. You you are doing compact flash uh, or or、um, CF Express cards now, yeah. The goal of your company is to be listed at Canon or to、um, sell more of your CF Express cards. Then I will come and talk about this topic to you. That maybe I'm Canon ambassador. I have、uh, good connections to the Canon Academy,、um, and I will find a way together with you how. I can help to use my、um, network, working also for you, and not、uh, talking about how how awesome I am and what I need from you. Because that's the most important part. The cooperation、um, is working just if I know what what I can do for this company, and it's even better if you have some KPIs or something like this. So if I can go to you and、uh, I can say, take a look.、Uh, I'm working together with this company. It's、uh, the tripod manufacturer. I sell every year for them two hundred thousand dollar of stuff. I know that your product will also work with us. Just let us try out some affiliate together, and then they see, oh, affiliate is working a little bit. It's working quite good. Maybe we can enhance it more. So I'm always trying to、um, to solve the problem. For the company, and not、uh, to talk about what I want, because、um, nobody's interested in your needs. 
everybody is interested in his needs. No, that's a that's a really great way to put it. I I mean I know I've heard other people say that before in terms of like what problems can you solve for your customers. So I think that makes total sense in relation to relationships with uh, amb- uh, brands and things like that. So thank you for thank you for that. Yeah, I I never ask for money. Like hey, give me five thousand euro for a post. I say hey, let's try it out. We will make some affiliate. You will see it's working, and then we talk about the next step. Yeah, that makes sense. I Baby think steps. that's the, the, the best idea. You you can say, hey, uh, I, I saw that Eneloop is always uh, going to podcasters and uh, everybody is doing something with Eneloop. I think I'm talking a lot of nature photography. Every nature photographer needs some filters. And I think we can do out of it um, something in my podcast, um, how we can create a win-win situation. So maybe... Uh, you send me over the kit and then you pay me for the first uh, six times I told something about this on my podcast, I don't know, 250 bucks. And then we will see how is it working. Then we, we met us together again and then we try to see what's going better, what's was not so good in this relationship. And then we try to to see where are we going. Makes sense. Well, I wanted to shift us over to um, one other topic uh, before we parted ways here. And it's an important topic near and dear to my heart. Um, You had mentioned to me that one of the goals of your photography is to show people what's worth being protected in Europe. And I'm just curious how you do that through your images. I think that um, photography or my photography is just the chance to get into dialogue with people so um, a photo will never make any conservation for you i think that um, we like to tell ourselves that a photo can make some conservation for us or that when i show this image that everybody will stop uh, using plastic or whatever but uh, images can be part of it Images can be part of natural education and it's important. But um, if you think you can do this with your images, you need also the right uh, distribution channel. For example, um, when we are talking about a national park, you need um, the distribution challenge that on the information boards, your images will be shown. That's a possibility to interact in the first order with the audience and to show them what you can um, do with photography. But um, when we are talking about um, photography, um, photography is a really strong thing. And my approach is to get into the dialogue um, with others to show that everybody can change something and that it is easy. And I think there at this point when I have the communication with the audience, then I can change something because when, when I'm um, going and I'm as a speaker or um, with my workshops, I'm in the dialogue with these people. And the most important thing is to understand that it's a process to do things every day better in nature and not that it's uh, like here we go, there's the goal, and we can finish it in one day. It's a process 
and a challenge for everybody. Yeah, and um, it's very important that it's not like we have one way and everybody can do it, but it's a way to do every day a little bit, uh, a few things better. And I make so many dis mistakes every day. Yes, and to, to make just an example, I was uh, in the Netherlands last week and I was so tired and there was a Starbucks. I was f the first time in my life in Starbucks and I had a really huge uh, disposal cup and I was like, oh, sh I have to throw it away. Wh wh why was I drinking this coffee? Yeah. So n normally I don't do this. So it was really a fall and I, I don't like it like this. So um, it's important that you give people um, an invitation to think about it and then you have to um, provide simply approaches on how they can start changing things. And that's how I can really change something. I believe that everybody joining me as a speaker or as a workshop leader has an interest in nature. So because I think they have an interest in nature, I have the possibility to change together with them something when we are talking about it. So. I, I will make maybe a concrete example. If I already optimized a lot at home, for me, I, I think every day about things like this. So where, when I think I can reduce plastic, for example, and then I already reduced uh, using plastic, and then it's really hard for me to maybe save one more, um, one more bag of garbage. And at the end of the year, I can save like this 12 bags of garbage. But when I encourage 100 people to save only one bag of garbage a month, and it is really, really easy, then my impact is 1,200 bags less of garbage uh, a year. So what has the bigger impact on the world? So for me, I have decided what, what effort can I bring? And everybody has to um, decide by himself which kind of um, effort he wants to put in it. And uh, my way to help people with this is that I tell them what have I done or um, I give them examples what they can do, what is easy to change in the first step. And then when they start, they see every single day more of possibilities, what they can do to reduce their carbon footprint or to make the world a little bit better. And if you have an audience um, because of podcasts or because of being a speaker or a workshop leader, you can really have a strong impact and you will see how people think about it. Because if you have a workshop group with eight people, maybe six are interested in it and two are not interested in it. Then you have still six people who can starting changing something because of the things you are talking about or showing them also. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I love what you said about collective impact because that's that's been something I've been talking more about in terms of personal responsibility and how that can cascade over into like if you do it and you convince other people it's a good idea, like your collective impact is much greater than just trying, you know, it's not about black and white and being perfect like you said. It's okay, how can I use one less thing of plastic today or like in my example I'm a vegetarian so I'm always trying to tell people like you don't have to give up meat like just eat one less meal a day a week 
you know, of meat, and you're going to make an impact on the on the on some issues. So I think I think uh, it's important to keep that in mind in terms of scalability and you know the impact think, that we can make as individuals. I think we can start today in the podcast. Maybe maybe we'll, we will start with some easy thing. What, what what have I done or what can you do? to reduce your carbon footprint or to reduce uh, the way you're living. So f for me, the, the first thing was uh, like reducing plastic. It sounds impossible, but um, you can start to recycle your bottles. You can start drink water, uh, normal water, it's tap water you have at home. You don't need to buy it in plastic bottles. You can start to buy fruit and vegetables without any bags. Bring your own bags. Um, also, bring your own shopping bags to the store. Start to use soap instead of normal shampoo in bottles. And um, maybe start um, to have some um, straws at home of glass or of metal or something like this. And don't buy it out of plastic. Then you have already, I think, j just with so simple tricks, you will reduce every month one bag of garbage just of plastic or um, try to separate your waste so start to have biological waste start to have plastic waste start to have other waste mm, yeah i'm uh, just gonna say like probably for photographers especially the number one thing we can do is try to reduce the amount of air travel we engage in because that is a huge impact on greenhouse gas emission and I mean, I'm not saying like you should never travel and you should never fly, but hey, if you're taking like 10 international trips a year, maybe you should try to make it seven or six instead of 10. You know, like it's not about perfectionism. Or maybe it's, about... it's even better. Maybe it's better to stay longer. So just don't make 10 trips for one week, make five for two weeks. And then maybe your images get, are getting better because you have more time and you can reduce your flights yeah no i think that's another so. good example i think i think the key is like it doesn't have to be all or nothing right like <laughs> you know yeah that I, i think that's the same i i'm not eating any seafood because um, i think that's important i love seafood but i don't eat it and you as you told us that you didn't eat any meat for me i don't eat any meat where i don't know where it come from so at home uh, I have uh, my own chicken here, so um, <laughs> we are eating the eggs and also the chicken and I buy also uh, meat only here from this area. But you, you can reduce also how much meat you are eating, maybe once a week is enough. And um, also very important for me is um, try to buy used gear. I'm not talking just about photographic gear, but about gear you don't need so often because we had already made the consumption of raw materials for this thing and if somebody is not using it and you can use it hey wh why don't buy used gear for for things like this yeah, and then I mean, you there's... can do th then you can do things which are really easy and you can change a lot like think about your electricity provider you can just change it with some clicks to a sustainable supplier or you can change your bank account to a sustainable bank so that are really impacts that are so easy you just have to make some clicks on the internet you don't have to do anything else or if you are doing a lot of things at home you can start to think of other building materials maybe you don't need uh, 
always uh, beton or stones, maybe you can use some uh, renewable resources like uh, wood or something like this. So when you start thinking about what you can change, it's you, you will see that it's so easy. And there are also a lot of apps out there helping you. Like uh, in Germany, we have code check. I don't know if it's working in US. You can you, you see how many plastic is inside of this, w what is inside or uh, the app replace plastic. And you, you can scan everything in the store and it's getting green or red. And you know, oh, this is not so good and this is better. So um, mm. I think that if you're using apps like this, it's really cool or replace pa pa uh, palm oil. That's also an app. So you can scan something and you know if it is there palm oil inside of it or not. I know that it's maybe not the easiest way of uh, going to the shop, um, but I'm looking always for stuff like this. I'm buying only uh, fruits and vegetables from Europe, better from Germany. And when I'm in the store and I see that this apple is coming from Australia, I was never in Australia. Why my apple is coming from Australia? So I'm looking better for an apple coming from Germany and which is not going all around the world. Or um, when we want to eat some potatoes and they are coming from Israel, hey, then I can also eat pasta this week. Uh, you know, if you start to, to think that way, you really can change something, but you can only change something when you find other people who want also change something. And I think just because we are talking today about this, maybe five people want to change also something in their life. And then we have a five times more impact than we had before. Then it's awesome. Yeah, no, I agree. We could probably talk about that for like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's important. No, I do too. Well, wrapping things up, uh, who do you recommend for the podcast? I thought about it. Um, do I have also to explain why I uh, want to see them here on the show? <laughs> yeah, maybe just briefly, like, what is it about their work that excites you? Okay. Uh, first of all, it's uh, a friend of mine uh, from Australia. It's the, his name is Jan Wegener. Um, his website is Aviscapes. I think he has like two or three hundred thousand followers on Instagram. And he's shooting only birds and his really, really uh, unique style of shooting birds. And that's why he taught himself aviscapes. So it's uh, like landscapes with AV combined. Then uh, Stefan Forster from Switzerland. He is a um, really good photographer, but he's doing a lot of drone shots and um, a lot of film material and really awesome photographer also. So I think he's mostly landscape focused so maybe the best for the podcast then uh, we have uh, Benze Matte from Hungary Benze is the craziest guy you can meet in photography I think he's built the biggest and best heights uh, on on the whole world for uh, animal photography and um, I think he's a crazy animal photographer focused on birds also then uh, we have Jasper Dusht. It's a guy from the Netherlands. He is a National Geographic photographer. And um, he's telling great stories here uh, from Europe. And then we have the guys from Zeitweise Art. Zeitweise Art uh, is their company. That's this, um, Jan Lessmann and Hermann Hirsch. They are uh, two young photographers 
who make everything together. And what's really special about them is that they say that all images that they take together are owned by both. So it's a re really cool thing because they can uh, shoot different things at the same spot and all the images are getting together to one thing they are working on. So it's it's re that is a really cool concept, I think. And yeah, I that's a really that's Alden a really cool Rickardson. idea. I love that. Oh, who was that? Yeah, I, I love it too. So uh, the the next one is Audun Rickardsen from Norway. He changed the art of photography of um, Northern Lights. He was the guy who was shooting um, underwater seascapes together with Northern Lights with. Uh, different species of uh, fish or uh, whales and so on underwater and over the water you had uh, a split screen with northern lights he make really interesting work and uh, he always find a new way of uh, taking images of northern landscape with animals awesome those are great recommendations thanks radimir and this has been a really f fun conversation and i'm glad we could we could make it work i really had a great time Thank you very much. It was cool to be here on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you to Radomir for the wonderful conversation. I always enjoy listener feedback, so don't be afraid to reach out. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can join Radomir and I over on Patreon for a bonus episode where we talk about how to make evocative images. My goal every week is to bring you value. You may not always agree with the positions taken by me or my guests, but I do think with an open mind, you can find some use in challenging your own thinking on a variety of subjects, if not only to solidify your own positions. I hope that the podcast has offered you that opportunity, so thank you for tuning in. Your homework assignment is to think about what we discussed and let me know one actionable thing that you've done as a result of this episode by contacting me on Instagram. I'll share my favorite answers and it'll be fun. Lastly, thank you to all of the wonderful photographers who are contributing to the podcast on Patreon. I know that the economy is rough right now, but if you can take a second to help us by joining as a supporter on Patreon, it really does help out a lot. I don't make much money from this podcast, but I'd someday love to be able to make it my full-time vocation, and I can't do that without your help. Just visit patreon.com forward slash stop and listen, or find a link in the show notes. Cheers. Next week, you can look forward to our episode with Israeli landscape photographer Ilan Shahom, where we cover another wide array of subjects that hopefully bring value to your life and way of thinking about photography. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.